0: Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week, but I am joined by
1: Mary Ann Campbell and I am out at her spot. Where are we exactly? So we're at Blue River Farm in Snohomish and um, my daughter and I own the place and We train horses and train people how to train horses and teach beginner riders and advanced riders and everybody in between. So people who are longtime listeners to the show
0: know that uh, this year, one of my New Year's resolutions was that I had to sit on a horse at least once. So that has now been accomplished.
1: (laughs) And you did it beautifully. (laughs) Thank
0: you. (laughs) I like to do resolutions that you can accomplish in a day. But I mean, I also thought it would be really fun to come down here because, because of you, honestly, because of your philosophy not just toward how to train a horse but toward life and and what horses can actually teach us and i'm sure there are people listening who have never been around a horse or don't like to be around horses or people who love living being around horses so we're going to talk about that but we're also going to talk about the larger picture of what you learn by being with a creature this large so you sent me a really interesting email about some of your philosophy and I wrote down some of your quotes so maybe we'll just start there why don't you first tell us what would be your approach to interacting with a horse versus a person or maybe even another animal right they're actually the same
1: when we approach each other we're fearful and you know I don't know if you're going to like me or not I don't know Mm -hmm. if you're dangerous to me or not I don't know if I'm going to offend you by you know wearing my shirt backwards or what Um, so we're careful with each other and humans are pretty good at reading each other. We also tend to kind of invent <laughs> inside our own landscape why the person is reacting the way they do. So so you might walk in and have just had an argument with your partner, and so your energy is kind of held in, and I'll look at you and go, oh, I must have offended her, and I'll go off for the next three days about how I screwed up, right? <laughs> um, so people, the only difference between people and horses is that we invent really amazingly baroque stories about the emotions that the other person is creating in us or that are sparked by the other person for a horse they're much more living in is it going to eat me or not is it going to help me find food or is it going to damage me and so if I can if I come into the situation and I feel a horse's tension what I know is that it's fearful not that it's dangerous but it is fearful. So if I can help the horse, if I can help the person to not be fearful around me, then I can get down to where that good horse is asking her good questions or that good person is asking their good questions instead of being just in reactivity to can I make this horse do what I want him to do, you know, or can I get this person to stop acting like that? So maybe more than anything else this this very beautiful old form of equitation teaches you to listen to other beings as if there's somebody wonderful there who's having a little bit of a difficult moment Mm -hmm. (laughs) instead of instead of you know how am i going to protect myself from this situation Mm. you do learn to stay safe when you're working with a horse who's fearful you can't just say hey don't be afraid but what you can do is help the horse to set herself up or himself up so that the expression of the fear is something they can make without hurting you. And in that you stay calm and quiet, the horse is able to relax. Even if a horse is really frightened by, I don't know, a hailstorm or, or somebody's cocker spaniel showing up, if her herd mate stays quiet, the horse is much more likely to be able to come back to balance herself. Yeah. And I keep saying she because we were just working with a mare, but it's equally true for the Geltings and the stallions. You
0: said you're
1: doing this very old form. What's
0: the history of the form of teaching that you're doing here?
1: This work began, well, really prehistorically. If you look at the old carvings from Mesopotamia and around the Fertile Crescent, which is where riding as we understand it today really began, you can see people already handling horses in very advanced ways. So 4,000 years before the current era, people were already thinking about how does a horse carry himself and how does he put himself together to, to move well? And why do they look so beautiful when they put themselves together in these ways? So this work began very, very, very long time ago. And back around 300 years before the current era. You have Xenophon, who wrote very beautifully about the training of the horse. Even earlier than that, about 5,000 years ago, there's a, a treatise by a trainer whose name is Kikuli on what's basically interval training for chariot horses. So people have been thinking really deeply about horse training for a long time. In the Renaissance, ideas about horse training that had come from northern Europe, which were a lot about heavy horses crashing into each other, you know, the knights jousting, that kind of fighting, heavy heavy weapons, big armor, large swords. So you needed a big horse that used its weight to be a menace. Those ideas came into connection with ideas from the southern part of Europe and from the northern part of Africa and from uh, into the Orient a little bit, where people were riding horses more doing close-in fighting. And so where fighting drives horsemanship that there's a lot of money behind cavalry, And so there's a lot of actually really good uh, research done by the people who are training horses for cavalry applications. And those two came together in the Renaissance. Yeah. So you have horses that have to dance on their hind legs and be really close in and be really tight and really beautiful with what they do. Very connected with the rider, very intelligent with the rider. And you bring that together with a horse from the, the North that was supposed to be just basically a tank and what the renaissance people did that was so amazing was they looked at what's the balance difference here how do you get a horse to be a tank you put him on his forehand you get him to use his front end how do you get the horse to be agile and amazing you open things up let him have his mind and work with his hind end mm. and the renaissance trainers figured out how to use their aids to talk with the horse in a really balanced way that work came to france the French king wanted to import really good riding for really good cavalry work. He also got tired of sending his uh, aristocracy to Italy to learn how to study it. Mm-hmm. So that riding came to France. And France, the, the kings in France, figured out that if you keep people busy with horses, they have less time to plan insurrections so <laughs> and less money. <laughs> and so they, they very deliberately made horsemanship be central to their court system. And for about 200 years... If you could ride really well, you moved up in the appreciation of the courts. So French riding for 200 years became the center of riding in Europe. And anyone who wanted to study riding really well, all the cavalry generals from other countries, would come and study in France. That's the lineage that I come from. Towards As you come into the 1800s, cavalry work becomes less important, or maybe better said, finesse in cavalry becomes less important because you've got heavy guns again. You've got guns instead of swords that you're fighting with. And so the horsemanship changed. And at that point, in order to get their riders to ride more often, the cavalry soldiers invented games. We're going to do show jumping. We're going to do cross-country races. We're going to do polo. And they brought in games in order to give their riders something to do after hours that would get them enough horsemanship. And gradually the games became the center of horsemanship instead of the real world application of the cavalry work. Mm. So my work is based on what happened before that change. My work is based on connecting with a horse so that you're really drawing out the best in her and really finding what's this horse's most quintessential conversation. What's his contribution to the world? And how does my poetry and his poetry combine to make something that you never see unless the two of us are talking, you know. So yeah. the same horse under his own owner is going to have a different poetry.
0: Yeah, you described it almost like a song, I think.
1: Yeah. It, um, Cesar Fiaschi, who was one of the Italian trainers back in the Renaissance, said that equitation is music, and music is equitation, because you're looking at something that has a meter, something that has a beat, you're looking at if you want the horse to increase her, her gait or his gait, you're going to, just like if you're playing with a band, you're not going to suddenly jump to a faster rhythm. You're going to draw them along. And if the band, if somebody else in the band has a different idea, you're going to have this little kind of a, a, a talking back and forth moment that a good musician can feel. And it adds spice to it. It adds jazz to it, right? It's not, he's resisting me. It's, ooh, where are we going with this? And that's the old equitation. It's just, it's what I thought when I was a little girl you could do with horses, mm-hmm. and you really can. Yeah.
0: I should mention, if I sound a little muffled, that's because I'm wearing a mask. Um, do you have a sense of what humans would have been like when we were all at a point when we had some sort of knowledge of being around horses, when they're very common in the streets? Actually,
1: I do, and this is... And its I have a very intimate one, actually, because I was raised in Oregon. My babysitter growing up was born on the Oregon Trail. She was very old, and she stayed very old my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Mrs. Shelley, she was always baffled that I was interested in horses because she said they're so dangerous. And she remembered as a child horses everywhere and not particularly well trained. And so you had horses that were, some of them were beautiful and connected and doing well because the training was good and some of them were exploding down main street dragging a cart behind them with their poor hapless owner stuck in the traces and so for her being around horses was a very real everyday experience that had to do with the complete wide spectrum of how good people are at things and how bad we are at things so there's a tendency to want it to be a romantic couldn't it be the way it used to be the thing that was there that actually we're all experiencing some in our own lives now, is that there wasn't any internet then, and there wasn't even any television then, there wasn't even any radio then, and there were books, but not so many. Books were kind of a a luxury item. So what you spent your mind on was much more what's in front of me now, was much more what's happening right now. There was less instant gratification in terms of uh, distractions. And when you wanted to find out if something was real, if you're out riding and your question is, gee, is this what they said in the book was the correct thing to do? Or is this what my teacher told me is the right thing to do? Or, you know, whoever external source, you're not present. If instead you're connected with the horse and you can feel the horse suddenly calm and relax and move with you like breath of my breath and heart of my heart, you don't need me or any other expert to tell you you're doing the right thing because you can feel it all the way through yourself. Mm. So, There's something in all of this that we're talking about that you think that
0: the culture really needs to remember or reconnect with anyway.
1: Yeah. The thing that I see every day when I'm teaching is we have to confront the question of what do I do with fear? We have to confront what's real. We have to look at, I would like to make this change, and it's really important to me. I don't want to get banged into the wall. I don't want my horse to go near that other horse. If we answer those questions by becoming bullies, we lose every time. Even even if, even if, by hurting my horse I can get it so it's not going to go towards this thing or that thing, or so that it knows I'm boss. All I've done is break the relationship. If instead... I can create a connection with the horse so that when I need to go left and he wants to go right, I'm able to flirt and woo and invite and find the opening and help him to want to make the turn. The more I practice that, the faster that gets so that an expert rider working in this older way has a completely calm horse doing exactly what she wants him to do at all times without the horse ever feeling like he's lost a sense of autonomy and without the rider feeling like the horse has. So when we're looking at today's difficulties, as long as we're bashing against each other, knowing that we're right, knowing, I, I know that I'm right about this, and you have not been listening to me about this, as long as we're stuck in that, we can't find the other person, we can't connect with them, and we can't make the cultural changes that need to, to happen. And we've got a bunch of pretty difficult stuff coming down the pike, as long as we're focused on our fears about it and and trying to figure out whose fault it is instead of looking at okay you know what human beings are amazing and if i can find my balance and look for what's real in this situation and reach out to your good balanced self and find out what's real for you the two of us together can make something much more powerful much more healthy and much more real happen and what I've learned from the horses is that, and from their riders, as long as I'm focused on, I need it to be my way or I'm not safe, I can never connect with, really, I want to say the magic that comes from tuning into our, our clearest, most balanced, most beautiful minds, hearts, senses of where do we go next. And it's not woo-woo, and it's not, um, I don't know, it demands an insane amount of discipline for a rider to stay balanced when she's fearful for a person in conversation to stay balanced when we're fearful if i'm balanced and you're balanced meaning we're not we're not sideways trying to catch ourselves but but holding ourselves fluidly in the middle of what's happening we can think better and when human beings think well we're a pretty remarkable animal mm-hmm. so yeah
0: Yeah, I have two questions actually off of that. Um, One thing, like in the email and even just now, you often refer to human beings as animals. And as you know, humans are often in stark disagreement that they are actually animals. You know, that there's the animal world and then there's the us world. What's your perspective on that?
1: I think it's charming. (laughs) Um, of course, we're animals in the sense that we have bodies just like horses do. Um, we have worries and fears just like horses do. Horses take care of themselves the way they understand their world needs them to take care of them. We do the same. A lot of horsemen, a lot of dog people will say, oh, I'm a dog person, I'm not a people person. You know, I, I enjoy being with dogs, but people will really confuse me. And horse people are the same, you know, horses are easy, people are hard. What I've found is that actually we're all the same. It's the same. And as what I love about horses is what I love about people is this innate, deep, heart level goodness. We all want to be safe. We all want to have lives worth living. And people wrap that in stories. Horses wrap that in movement. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so if I can if I can help my riders to feel more comfortable with the animal side of themselves, the thing that's the animal side of ourselves is it's it answers things with movement. So we do hunch forward when we're frightened. That's an animal response. We blink when something comes towards our eyes. We go, <gasps> when we're frightened. You know, those are animal responses. That's the animal level. And it's good.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a healthy thing. You talked about being a bully, but you also have talked about
1: being a victim. What's the victim angle on that? So, um, yeah. If you, if you live in a, a polarized world, you're either going to be a bully or you're going to be a victim. And most of us prefer to be bullies. You know, you can work the victim angle. You know, Gee, if I, if I, if I look pathetic enough, somebody's going to come rescue me. If I look pathetic enough, maybe they won't bully me. But if you live in a bully versus victim world, most of us tend to lean towards, I'm going to be a bully instead because it feels more powerful. If you step off that carousel and say no what I am as a person who has autonomy, what I am as a person who makes her own choices in the middle of this thing, then how the other person is acting isn't going to affect how you do. You act out of your own sense of what's right and what's real. So for in, in working with a horse, that means that I'm connecting with the horse, I'm looking for why is it responding the way it is, and how can I set up a situation so that he or she is more comfortable, more at ease, has more access to their higher thinking abilities and working with people it's the same
0: so obviously you let me come ride riding a horse is not something i do in my normal day-to-day life and something in your email that i thought was so interesting was talking about human beings approaching the world wanting to do the things that they know rather than the things that they don't know and that can be just in thought patterns but that can also be like i don't know anything about horses i don't know that i really want to be in a room standing next to one, you know. Uh. But
1: what are your thoughts about that, are us living in this what we know world? Boy, that's th- more and more important right now because our our worlds are getting smaller and smaller as we're being so careful about not being exposed to one another. Um, and all animals, horses, people, chipmunks, <laughs> mm-hmm. all of us feel safer when we're doing what we know. Because we kind of know what to expect but then there's that old phrase the devil you know versus the devil you don't know you know when you make a choice to move into a new situation you know for instance uh, you've lived in the same house for the last 10 years and you're ready to sell it and move to a new house you have a sense of what you're moving towards but you don't know what the new problems will be and you don't know until you've gone what you're going to miss about the old place so being able to be uh, curious. And here comes Monet. (laughs) Monet is very tall and she's very tender. She's the, she belongs to the same person who owns the little white horse you were riding. And Monet is very tall and very shy. We joke that when you're leading her, it's like taking a giraffe to a wedding. (laughs) She, She moves with great gravitas, but she's inordinately tall. (laughs) And and her partner Trinket is this little spitfire. Anyway, um, but yeah, so when we look at, if we live inside of what we're safe with all the time, then we never grow. We never change. We never get to see the amazing stuff that the world has to offer. On the other hand, if we're the kind of person who always leaps towards the next thing, then we're stuck in a different kind of safe zone. You know, I'm only safe if I'm challenging myself. So, So my sort of middle of the ground thing is is let's find a way to, to have a little bit of a challenge every day, a little bit of a reach every day so that I can keep my curiosity going, keep my sense of aliveness, keep the, keep the wheels greased in my head, even though I'm locked in, even though I'm not as... I mean, I used to travel to, to teach all over the place and I can't do that right now. But each person who comes in, whether it's a five-year-old from the neighboring you know house that's coming over to take lessons or... Or I've got somebody who's just arrived, just moved here from Italy, who's about to start. They all bring their their questions and their unique way of standing and their unique way of of wondering how their world works. They bring their fears. I have some riders who come in who already know how to handle horses and they aren't curious about that part, and I have to slow them down and get them curious. And I have people who come in who are really fearful, who aren't sure that they want to get near a horse, and to help that person to, to just for the first time touch the horse just for the first time. That's enough. That's enough of a reach. Mm -hmm. It's the stretch that's interesting. It's not the accomplishment of a certain aim. Mm -hmm.
0: I wrote down a few of the lines that you wrote that I just loved. You said, and maybe I'll just read a couple and then you can respond to which one you really want to talk about. You said um, that the last few years have taught us that we better wonder and wonder effectively with our whole hearts. Um, And then another thing you wrote was about curiosity, kind of like what we were just touching on, being ready to hear new ideas. And to hear those ideas not from arrogance, but out of humbleness and the enormous potential of all around us and within us. I thought that
1: was really... That that was really good. I was on it that day. (laughs) (laughs) But there's, there's a thing about being balanced that lets you be curious. You can't be permeable if you don't feel a sense of safety. And, and on the horse, it's simple. It's a physical safety. Am I balanced or not? Have I fixed my seat? You know, I can teach you the, the balance work so that you can get to where you are then able to have access to your cognition. And you're not acting out of bullying because you're not fearful. But when I step out of the arena, then it's a question of finding my balance inside my heart so that I can be curious. So that instead of having a knee-jerk reaction to somebody who thinks differently from me, I'm curious about it. I wanna hear what it is what question are they answering. Because the 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 fact is we've all got the same questions. Am I gonna be safe? Is is my family going to be safe? You know, am I am I acting in a way that is gonna make it so tomorrow is going to be better than today was? And all of us have different answers to that. But as soon as I impose my answers on you, I don't know what your questions are. I need to back off, listen, find out. So my my daughter is about to get married to somebody whose family's from Costa Rica. And there they have a farm in Costa Rica. And the questions they ask down there have to do with a, a country with a very different um, uh, climate, a very different geography, different animals, different applications than the questions I ask here. And if I said to, to my co-mother-in-law, if I said to Lucy, you should run your farm the way I do mine, i would be crazy. You know, and if she told me how to run mine, it'd be crazy because we don't know what the questions are. So you have to be you have to be balanced to ask to be curious and you have to be curious to find out what the questions that the other person is answering are. And then if you have something to contribute, it's gonna be in the neighborhood of here's a have you thought about this? As a way to answer that same question, rather than you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. Yeah. You also have talked a bit about how important it is to
0: be in the moment and part of working with horses has taught you that but being present in what's happening currently right now what does that mean for you yeah
1: um one of the things that shows up a lot when you're working with the horse is that for instance i'll be teaching you how to do a direct rein turn and that's a small circular action of the hand away from the body of the horse causes the horse's hind end to swing away from you so he's basically turning with his front end slow his hind end fast um that's what happens when it comes to full fruition. But when you first begin the movement, you have a sense of, is this going to work or not? A beginner beginner consistently will internalize the idea that it's a circular action away from the body of the horse. Their hand makes a circular action away from the body of the horse. And in their heart of hearts will think, I am pulling 1,300 pounds towards me. I better back up. And so, and so the the aid changes from a small circular action to, Um, backing up away from the horse, and the horse politely will bring himself towards you. So instead of the hind end moving away, the front end is suddenly coming towards you. And so the rider or the handler, instead of being in the moment saying, okay, I'm going to start with a small circular action of the hand, has already launched herself into all of the things that she believes are going to happen as a result of that. If we can slow ourselves down, and start with that small circular action of the hand. Maybe you get no response from the horse, but you're practicing, you're looking at, okay, what would that, what does that mean? What's a small circle? If I'm moving just my hand, am I moving my hand in the rein? Am I moving my hand in the bit? What are the things that are involved here? What's the horse feeling? If the horse is feeling it just in her mouth, am I just sliding her lips around? If the horse is is internalizing it, then the body begins to move. So what are the things that I can do to help the body begin to move? So you begin asking the right questions if you slow yourself down to being right now in this moment with what's happening right here (laughs) instead of in your assumptions about what's going to happen or your worries about what did happen or... You know, all of those pieces. Mm-hmm. Anybody who has a meditative practice knows about the idea of being here now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and for me as a young woman, that sounded like a big, grandiose thing. The older I get, the more I realize those big, grandiose things are actually about these little, little, simple, right-here, right-now things. Mm-hmm. And um, like, what does the horse feel when I touch her? Yeah. You know, what does the horse feel when I move the rein?
0: So if a person is not near a horse at all, Is there a way for them to practice this?
1: Being here now? There's a few... all of these things, really. (laughs) (laughs) There are libraries (laughs) worth of information about being here now. But um, (laughs) it's funny because I I will tell my riders, you know, you can practice your riding in your car on the way home just by noticing how you're sitting. You know, you'll find yourself hunching around your worries. You'll find yourself worrying about the next thing coming down the road instead. Take a moment right now to notice what's happening right this moment for me, right where I am. You know, gee, I'm actually kind of comfortable. Gee, I'm, I'm a little hungry. Gee, you know, instead of I'm worried about how I'm going to pay the bill, you're right here, right now, this moment, everything's okay. And if we can find that little balance in this moment, that frees up the mind a little bit and gives it more access to being able to handle the problems that are coming down. So I thought at first when, I, when people talked about being here now, it sounded like you were just kind of woo-wooing along pretending that nothing was gonna change. But rather what it gives you is, again, going back to that human as an animal, it gives you balance in the moment, which gives you a more calm mind in the moment, which gives you the ability to use the mind that you have so much more effectively than your really good self comes to the surface and then you can make better decisions and make choices when that's what's here right now in a much more effective way
0: and let's say that people do live near here because we do have a lot of listeners in the, uh, in the Puget Sound region how can they find you if they actually want to come sit on a horse with you hear your philosophy but also practice
1: and learn these things they can go to our website it's blue river com and connect with us through that is the simplest way to do it okay. yeah and I will put a link to that in our show notes of course
0: so you can find it there or you can always write to us bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com if you want me to send a link very nice. <laughs> she's, she's noticing that my microphone is a Rode microphone, which is very appropriate for, uh, <laughs> for where we are. Because you just
1: rode. Because <laughs> I just
0: rode. I just rode. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been
1: a lot of fun. It's just been a joy again to see you, and, and, and nice even though we have to wear masks, although I took mine off for the interview part.
0: And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. If you love the show, take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love to read while you listen, and your rating might help someone else discover the show. Take just a couple of minutes to let the world know what you think of this show. It means the world to us. Thanks. ¶¶